From Share Profits, brought to you from Wales by 30 Yards, this is the Share Profits Radio Show, episode 18, for the 16th of November, 2019. And here's your host, Tom Winnerth. Hi, this is indeed Tom Winifrith with the 18th edition of Share Profits Radio, brought to you, as Darren mentioned, uh, from Wales, albeit only by 30 yards. I was contacted this week, I can't remember exact day, uh, by someone about the results of an aimlessly company, uh, Jubilee Metals, formerly Jubilee Platinum. Aren't the results amazing? Maybe you should tip it, said my correspondent. Uh, I had a brief look at the results, uh, and indeed they seemed to be truly impressive. The company was growing its revenues rapidly. It appeared to be generating cash. Its strength, it stressed how its balance sheet had been greatly strengthened during the year and was in a much stronger position than it had been for some time. Indeed, everything seemed to be tickety-boo. Something held me back. There was something about it. I just couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I wasn't uh, tempted to write about the results. And the shares moved ahead sharply to 4.75p. They've been much, much higher in the past, but they've also been much, much lower in the past. The company maybe was on a bit of a roll. Uh, People were buying the shares in morning trade. Some people were paying almost 5p a share. Then came the sucker punch early afternoon. Uh, the company has raised 4 million quid at 4p per share. Uh, naturally, the shares gravitated back towards the placing price. Those who've been paying 5p per share in the secondary market uh, will uh, be feeling, would I would have thought, be feeling pretty sore. They'd be pretty pissed off. Has anything happened there which is wrong, which is a crime? Uh, the gentlemen who run Jubilee Metals are uh, an old rogue, a friend of mine, in fact, uh, Colin Bird, who's a veteran of the mining industry. I guess Colin must be in his late 60s by now, possibly even a little older. Uh, but he's been around since uh, Adam was a boy. Uh, and now he has uh, a, a chief executive, Leon Kurtzer, a South African guy, very nice guy too, uh, uh, and they run it together. Colin has form, uh, one might say. I should stress, Colin is a friend of mine. He's a, a nice guy. Uh, get him on the subject of Nottingham Forest and he can blather on for ages. Uh, he's a very likeable guy and I've known him a long time. It's a bit of a rogue. I suppose you have to be a rogue to survive in the mining space. By rogue, let me give you an example. It was about 10 years ago, I think, uh, I did an interview. We videoed the interview and put it up on the internet with Colin Bird, uh, who was running Jubilee then. And I said, so Colin, uh, do you think uh, you might need to do a placing? And Colin said, I can tell you honestly, Tom, that today, I can tell you today, we're not doing a placing. Well, that was great. The shares went up. Uh, blow me down. Colin did a placing the next day. What he'd said was true. But people might have felt a bit aggrieved about what he said. There's a very fine line here. If you are doing a placing, the last thing you're going to do is say, yeah, hands okay, Tom, you caught me there. Uh, I will break all the insider dealing rules. Yes, we're doing a placing right now. He couldn't answer in that way, but he could perhaps uh, uh, have uh, skirted around the question uh, and said, well, of course, we live in, uh, 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 we are a loss-making company, as Jubilee was at that point. Uh, we operate in a capital-intensive industry. Uh, so the company will have to uh, uh, fund itself going forward. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to work that out. That would have been an honest answer, and I think would, uh, uh, wouldn't have caused people to go in and rush to buy the shares. And that, I think, is my problem with the events uh, 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 of this week. The results statement from uh, 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 Jubilee uh, wasn't dishonest. It didn't break the rules in any way, shape or form. 
but it did encourage people to buy shares in the secondary market. That, of course, made it far easier uh, for Jubilee to raise the money from city insiders, uh, 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 city institutional investors uh, at 4P because the secondary market was buoyant. And people might feel a bit sore about it. As I stress, I don't believe that Jubilee has broken the law in any way, shape or form. But investors will feel sore. Uh, and I suspect that they will look back and see that this has happened a couple of times uh, with Jubilee. And in the end, it gets to the stage where actually Jubilee could put out its results and it could say 2 plus 2 equals 4. And many of us would say, well, are you sure about that? Can you verify that statement? The element of trust has been lost. There are, of course, far worse examples of people uh, who, uh, when they talk about placings, uh, of people who behave in an outrageous way, uh, 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 telling manifest lies. I have spoken quite a lot on this uh, show about the company Big Dish Ventures, which on uh, uh, May the 30th of this year, uh, put out an RNS which said, amongst other things, that it was fully funded. Uh, to deliver on its business plan. Uh, uh, Six or seven days later, maybe eight days later, the company raised 1.75 million in a placing, with the shares having zoomed ahead on the assumption that there would be no placing. Uh, Results for the period to March 31st, released uh, subsequent to the placing, uh, show that at that point the company was uh, bordering on being insolvent, uh, and was burning cash at a prodigious rate, and that cash burn has continued uh, since uh, uh, March 31st. Uh, the uh, auditors made it very clear that had the company not raised the money uh, a few days after saying that it was fully secure, fully funded, uh, that it would not have been classified as a going concern. The auditors would have made it clear the company was heading for insolvency. So the statement made by Big Dish was an explicit lie. It is very different, it is different in an order of magnitude to the statement made by uh, uh, Jubilee Metals, which wasn't a lie, it wasn't misleading, it was just incredibly well-polished and aggressive. And given the nature of the timing, it leads a bad taste in the mouth. Big Dish told an explicit lie. Its CEO does appear to have been fired this week, which is a good, which is a good result. Uh, but frankly, people should be going to prison about that uh, 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 for this crime uh, uh, because people were paying up to 9p for the shares, which are now just 2p. They were paying up to 9p on the assumption that the company was fully funded when that the CEO in making that statement must have known that he was lying. Now, uh, 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 Jubilee Metals, uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, people will trust the company a bit uh, less going forward. Uh, The fact that it has been a a serial offender in its respect uh, of not lying but just over-egging the pudding ahead of a placing uh, uh, is something uh, which I suspect in the long run may cost it. Uh, uh, something in in terms of market reputation. But having said that, Colin Bird has been in the game for uh, decades uh, and he's been getting away with this stunt uh, uh, every few years for decades. So I guess maybe it won't stop him uh, uh, doing this again in future. One thing I would say to Colin Bird, who I'm sure will be listening uh, to this edition of Share Profits Radio, uh, is Colin, do you not think that it would have been fair since you must have been planning the placing since before, uh, before you released the results, uh, to have included an open offer for shareholders at 4P so that your existing investors could also uh, uh, take part in the placing, uh, uh, take part in the fundraising at 4P, and therefore anyone who had bought in the market at 4.75, 4.8P on the morning of the results uh, wouldn't have felt quite so aggrieved because they could have averaged down with a purchase at 4p. Don't you think doing an open offer would have been the fair way to treat shareholders? I think if a lot of companies who uh, have behaved in this way with regard to placings have been slightly aggressive in, 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 in the way that Jubilee has perhaps been aggressive, were they to do an open offer, it would show that they respected their shareholders. 
the way that Jubilee has behaved this week, to me, uh, suggests that Jubilee really doesn't give a fuck about its shareholders. Certainly it doesn't give a fuck about those people who bought in the secondary market between the results announcement and the announcement of the placing. And in the long run, I don't believe that is healthy for the market to have companies behaving that way. But actually, it's not healthy and helpful for Jubilee either. Uh, Colin, uh, you will now have on your shareholder list people who feel that you've buggered them in the past week and they won't like you. Uh, at some stage, you might need their support. Maybe you won't. But it's always nice to have shareholders who like you and think you're a good guy rather than have shareholders who think you're a complete and utter bastard. On that basis, I would urge you that next time you ramp your shares ahead of a placing, you consider doing an open offer at the same time. This podcast is, of course, uh, brought to you at no cost. It's free to listen. Therefore, Colin Bird can listen uh, wherever he is in the world, as, as can anyone else. Uh, I hope you've registered to uh, get it on iTunes. Uh, it gives you a much better sound quality. It's a much more effective way to download the podcast. Uh, because it's free, uh, I don't do anything for free in life, uh, uh, apart from the washing up when the missus tells me to, obviously. Uh, because it's free, we're only able to bring you this podcast thanks to the kind sponsorship uh, uh, of a number of organisations. In this case, it's Open Orphan PLC. I'm happy to take sponsorship from the same listed company because I happen to be a shareholder. Uh, I believe the company is a good company. It is well run by Cathal Friel. Uh, Open Orphan uh, came to aim via an RTO of a company called Ven Life, which was a bit of a dog. Uh, but Cathal has done the right thing in terms of cutting costs and uh, uh, pushing that company towards a delivering organic profitability. He explained fully his buy and build strategy uh, on Share Profits Radio Edition 8. I hope you'll listen to that. I believe the shares were undervalued and are very happy to hold my uh, uh, modest holding, uh, even though I am well in the money on that holding. If you want to know more about Open Orphan PLC, as I say, listen to Share Profits uh, Radio Edition 8, uh, but maybe follow the company on Twitter at Open Orphan. Now, uh, this week has seen me write once again about a gentleman called Chris Cleverly. Uh, you may not know much about Chris Cleverly. Uh, he operates at the bottom end of the London listed markets. But here is a case study uh, about everything that is wrong with the London markets today, with the regulators at the FCA, uh, with AIM regulation, uh, in this case, the next market, the junior market to AIM, but principally here, the FCA, are the people at fault. Uh, what uh, the story of Chris Cleverly and of his companies, uh, or his company, uh, is one which is a very open example of a company and an individual lying to investors and committing wholesale securities fraud and getting away with it. It is uh, regrettable that I have exposed him yet again this week for lying to investors and committing securities fraud uh, uh, because he should have been stopped many, many years ago. That he has not been stopped is worrying because for every person who I manage to expose and catch so that everybody knows that they're wrong, and there are, I suspect, dozens if not uh, 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 hundreds of people operating in the London listed markets who are guilty, maybe if not of quite such extreme fraud as Mr. Cleverly, but certainly of lying to investors. Uh, and they will continue to do that because, as Cleverly has shown, you can act with impunity. Chris Cleverly is uh, a guy who apparently trained as a barrister. He's well-connected in life. His cousin, James, is the chairman of the Conservative Party. So he's one of them, not one of us. He's one of the 1%. Uh, uh, not a normal human being like uh, uh, you and I. He used to run a company called African Potash, which was listed on AIM. African Potash had been set up by uh, Messrs. Andrew Groves and Phil Edmonds, Philippe Edmonds, uh, the former Middlesex and England cricketer, who were well-known scoundrels who'd been exposed for all sorts of wrongdoings over the years. 
Edmonds and Groves stepped back. They still were taking a little bit of money out of Potash, but they gave the reins to Mr. Cleverly. I think there was one uh, uh, scallywag in between Edmonds and Groves and Cleverly, but uh, uh, we can ignore that scallywag and focus on the Cleverly era. The company had one legacy asset, uh, a fertilizer mine somewhere in Africa called Lac Dinga, uh, which the company had been on the verge of developing since Adam was a boy, and which, needless to say, is undeveloped to this day. It will never be developed. Uh, there is more chance of me developing a mine in my garden uh, here in Wales, uh, and also of shagging the entire Dallas Cowboys cheerleader squad by a week next Tuesday than there is of this uh, uh, pop, uh, potash mine actually getting into production. Under Cleverly, the company took a new direction, and that is to say acting as a middleman, a supplier of fertilizer to various places in Southern Africa. No one doubts uh, that this would be a valuable service. Uh, uh, Places like Zimbabwe was once known as the breadbasket of Africa. It was feeding seven nations, uh, uh, thanks to uh, the economic policies of uh, Robert Mugabe, uh, and also to his policies of genocide, uh, uh, Zimbabwe is starving. Uh, That's had a knock-on effect. The countries it used to feed are surrounding it are now no longer getting food from Zimbabwe. Uh, uh, They are reliant on their own production, which is inadequate. Clearly, there is a need uh, uh, for things which will improve yields on agricultural production throughout southern and central Africa. So it seemed like a good idea. Unfortunately, uh, the company seemed almost incapable, in fact, incapable of generating revenues. The costs went up. The revenues did not. Uh, Consequently, despite great potential uh, and share price rises, uh, which allowed the company to get away a number of placings, uh, the company uh, ended uh, the middle of 2015 almost out of money. Uh, The situation got worse in the later months of 2015, but then there were two big deals announced, one in November, which seemed to herald very material revenues, And then one on January the 6th, which didn't herald revenues, it guaranteed revenues. Cleverly and African Potash, which at that stage was chaired by uh, Peter Hayne, Lord Peter Hayne, the hero of the struggle against apartheid, uh, and by then uh, a member of the House of Lords, a Labour peer, having been a Labour minister, uh, having had a spot of bother with his expenses, but uh, generally thought to be a good fellow, certainly in uh, post-apartheid, post-colonial Africa. Uh, Peter Hayden was the chairman. Uh, the company announced on the 6th of January 2016 uh, that it had uh, secured a contract to supply $10 million worth of uh, fertiliser, and that the fertiliser will be supplied by the 30th of January, and most importantly, that this contract was backed by a letter of credit from an international bank. Uh, that means, you know, you may, because of your, 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 your appalling sort of prejudices, feel that some people in Africa may not be good for their money and they might not cough up, but you don't need to worry because this contract was underpinned by a letter of credit from an international bank. So even if the customer, for some reason, says that the check's in the post and doesn't pay, the bank but the letter of credit from the bank means you could draw down that letter of credit. African Potash was guaranteed to get $10 million by the end of January 2016. Not surprisingly, the shares absolutely raced ahead on, the, on that news. And on the 12th of January, the company duly uh, did a placing, raising one and a half million quid or, or that sort of magnitude, which is fantastic because that could pay the bills for, for quite a while. Come the 30th of January, uh, the the company was forced to admit that actually it hadn't supplied the product. There were a few delays. Uh, The product wasn't, as it had said, uh, uh, being being shipped out to to, to the customers. It was still stuck at the port. Uh, Come March, April, there were more delays. And by April, it was quite clear that this product hadn't been shipped at all. Uh, but surely that shouldn't have been a problem because the company should have got paid for the, by the letter of credit for the international bank. Well, uh, 
The problem was that there wasn't a letter of credit. And in fact, there wasn't a contract to sell the fertilizer either. There was an understanding that a company had a drawdown, an opportunity, but not an obligation to draw down fertilizer up to the sales of 12, 10 million. But there was no signed letter of credit. Uh, Potash had talked to a bank about it and a draft version of the letter of credit uh, had been passed between the two, but it hadn't been signed because the bank had refused to sign it. So there was no letter of credit. This was fraud, uh, uh, plain and simple. I, I, I published uh, uh, this allegation pointing out that the company's uh, RNS of January the 6th was a complete and utter lie. It was without doubt alike. There was no letter of credit. There was no contract to sell $10 million of fertilizer. Uh, the, the fiction that the company was guaranteed to have that money in the bank by the end of the month was sheer fixing. And it was designed to pump up the shares to get away a rescue placing without which the company would have gone bust. So it was securities fraud at every single level. Uh, I repeated this allegation often enough to force the company into making the cardinal error of instructing the firm of Memory Crystal uh, to send me a lawyer's letter demanding that I pay it some money as damages and cover its costs, and that I withdraw, I think, 19 articles in which I'd accused Potash of fraud. Uh, I've faced Memory Crystal before. They acted for Pirate Pete Landau, the Australian entrepreneur now, uh, who's now been charged with numerous criminal offences, and also for Globo, the Greek fraud, which uh, we published a dossier on on this website, had its shares suspended, and within 72 hours it admitted that it too was complete fraud. So uh, Memory Crystal had form in acting for criminals in threatening me, and I had form in saying, see you in court, bitches which is exactly what I did with Potash, because you see, I actually had the documents showing uh, uh, that the RNS was a fake. I had the unsigned letter of credit. I had uh, other documents relating to the deal. I knew I was on solid ground. And to that end, I made it clear that I would be calling the company's nomad, Cantor Fitzgerald, and the qualifying exec, Mr. Stuart Dick, uh, as witnesses, and ask them, and I said, oh, I'll get you on the witness box, can you show the due diligence where you saw the signed letter of credits, etc., etc., etc.? Uh, Cantor Fitzgerald realised they were in a bind. Uh, uh, Mr. Dick clearly had not seen this signed letter of credit because no such signed letter of credit existed. Therefore, uh, they were negligent. They had approved a release, uh, which they should have verified, but they had not verified. Uh, so their response was to part company with Mr. Dick. Uh, uh, sorry, Mr. Dixon. Here he was, christened Stuart Dick, but for some reason he changed his name by deed poll to Stuart Dixon. Uh, I can't think why. Um, but uh, so, so they parted company with Mr. Dick and they resigned the account as Nomad. Now, why does this matter? Uh, uh, in due course, uh, no, other no other nomad was prepared to act for African Potash, and it was slung off the AIM Casino. It went on to the next lobster pot, the junior market uh, in, in London, the most junior market beneath AIM. Peter Hain has stepped down as chairman to concentrate on uh, 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 finalising his latest expenses claims in the House of Lords and, uh, and developing his permatan. Um, uh, but James Cleverly was left in charge. He changed the name of the company to Block Commodities and raised a little bit of money uh, uh, because the company was going to be bringing blockchain technology to African fertilizer markets. Uh, don't ask, don't ask. It was clearly a, a cynical attempt to surf the blockchain boom uh, with an absolutely crackers business proposition. Uh, the blockchain Bitcoin bubble burst a little bit. Uh, and so, uh, towards the end of last year, uh, the companies had to start working on a new strategy. Unfortunately, shares were suspended due to little problems publishing its annual report, etc., uh, and also the fact that the company was technically insolvent. But in March of this year, uh, the company announced that it, quote, had raised, had raised, had raised, had, as in the past tense, raised £400,000 uh, through the issue of convertible loan notes, convertible at 
0.07p per share. On the 29th of March, it published its interim results and again said that he had raised this £400,000 at 0.07p per share uh, and that it had used some of that money uh, to exercise and acquire an option to buy a cannabis farm in Zimbabwe or some such project. It was important uh, that it raised the money because the last balance sheet we have for the company showed cash of $1,000, trade receivables of $1,000, and trade payables of about $1.7 million. In other words, not only was it insolvent, quite clearly, and I'm ignoring in that about $1.6 million owed to the, fi- owed to the finance director's wife, uh, ignoring that. The company was clearly insolvent, but more to the point, it had no cash, even assuming that it could uh, 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 push those trade creditors out forever, uh, 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 which it appears able to do. Uh, uh, it had no cash to develop a cannabis asset, but we didn't need to worry about that because on both the 27th and 29th of March, it announced that it had, it had raised uh, today or this week. Uh, here we are, the 15th of November. We finally get the sordid truth. Uh, the company hasn't, hadn't raised uh, 400000 then. It has only finally completed a placing of convertible loan notes and shares, not at 0.07p, but at 0.02p, and it has raised less than 400000 uh, the company in the release of the 15th of November said that uh, in March it had announced that it was contemplating doing a fundraise. That was a lie. Uh, the company announced on both occasions that it had raised the money, had passed tense. Why does this all matter? Uh, you may say that Block Commodities is an insignificant little company on the next lobster pot. And you would be right. There is not a cat in hell's chance of this company ever uh, generating a cent in cash. Uh, it exists there solely to provide money for Chris Cleverly and for its morally bankrupt advisors, uh, um, uh, Alexander David Securities, uh, provide 10,000 quid a year in fees to the next uh, uh, lobster pot market. Uh, that is its sole purpose in life. It will never develop any money from cannabis, and no doubt cannabis will, uh, that bubble is something which is already bursting, as we know. Uh, so no doubt uh, uh, Block Commodities will change its name to whatever the next bandwagon is, and it will try and do that. It will keep the show on the road for directors, for advisors, etc. But all the time, it will be sucking up money from uh, individuals who are perhaps not keen readers of share profits and are not aware of the absolutely criminal past of Chris Cleverly and of the company that he runs, that he has on a serial basis and demonstrably he has uh, told lies to investors via RNS. He has committed fraud. That is to say, he has uh, put out statements which were completely untrue, utterly bogus, and people have either traded shares in the secondary market on the basis of those lies, uh, or uh, they have taken part in placings at the wrong price because the share price was puffed up by those lies. I don't know how often shares in block commodities trade on the next lobster pot, uh, but anyone uh, uh, trading them after the announcement of the 29th of March of this year uh, would have been doing so on the assumption that the company had raised money at seven one-hundredths of a penny. But in fact, it hadn't. It only raised, it raised less money than uh, intimated in March, or, or stated explicitly in March, and it did so in November and at a far lower price. Therefore, between 29th of March, the return uh, uh, from suspension of the shares in block commodities, and November 15th, the market in these shares was completely and utterly false, and people were trading shares on the basis of that false market. They were a victim of a fraud perpetrated by Chris Cleverly. Why do I focus in on such a tiddly little company? Well, it shows at all levels that things are wrong. Uh, we look at the behaviour of Cantor Fitzgerald. Cantor Fitzgerald acted as nomad to African potash 
it as a firm signed off on releases which were untrue, and then it generated material commission raising money for the firm on the basis of those untrue releases. Cantor Fitzgerald did not know that the releases were untrue. Uh, neither did Stuart Dick, the uh, uh, or Stuart Dixon, the, the 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 man who signed off on them as being true, because they didn't do their job properly. They didn't verify them. Had Mr. Dick merely said, "Can I see this signed letter of credit?" When it didn't arrive, he would have known he could not have signed off on the release. But he didn't do that. Wind forward to where we are today, has Cantor Fitzgerald suffered for this? A lot of people have lost a lot of money on African potash because Cantor Fitzgerald was negligent. No, it hasn't. AIM regulation has not slapped Cantor Fitzgerald with an enormous fine for this appalling act of negligence. I'm not saying that Cantor Fitzgerald was complicit in the fraud, but he's enabled it by not doing its job properly. Cantor Fitzgerald has, to my knowledge, not been fined heavily uh, for this company. Well, that sends a message out to nomads. It doesn't matter. You don't need to verify the releases of your clients. Let them say what they want and then just make your money from the placings that follow. Coke and hookers all round. There's no comeback. Stuart Dick. Well, I don't think he's working in financial services anymore. Uh, but uh, he seems to be running a company. This guy should have been censured personally. He should have been made clear that he couldn't work in financial services because his negligence cost investors millions. Yet there's no such censure for him. Uh, and so, no doubt, he will crop up again. But the real centre here, as we know, is James. It is not James Cleverly. He's the chairman of the Conservative Party. He has other sins to answer for. It is lying Chris Cleverly of African potash become block commodities. We can see here that in 2015 and 2016, this man was lying to investors and committing fraud and was able to continue paying himself uh, a very nice stipend because of the money he'd raised to investors because he had lied to them. Uh, this is fraud. There is no other way of looking at it. It is clearly fraud. Uh, and he's got away with it. This has to be something that the FCA must answer to. You know, people will say, oh, but it's only a small fraud. And after all, you know, his cousin is chairman of the Tory party, so we should, we should, we should think he's, he must be a pretty pucker fellow, really. But this is the point. If you allow people to get away with small frauds, they will go on and commit much bigger frauds. If one looks at Quindell, the biggest stock market fraud of the past 30 years, if people had done their jobs properly, they would have known that the stated profits in 2011, its first year on the stock market, uh, were completely fictitious. They were came about entirely as a result of fraud, something that uh, 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 the FRC thanked me for exposing. Uh, I exposed it too late. Uh, I wasn't perhaps as on the ball as I should have been, but uh, it was finally exposed. But had someone, and, and, and you know, the company's uh, uh, then nomad broker, Daniel Stewart, could actually have detected this. Had it looked at the trading pattern in the shares, it would have been able to understand the Panama pump, which created these fictitious result, uh, 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 profits which then allowed the company to go and raise a lot of money, buy other businesses for using its grossly inflated uh, own paper, uh, raise money from investors at grossly inflated prices, all on the back of those bogus profits from 2011. Had the small fraud been nipped in the bud, the much bigger fraud, uh, the fraud which saw the company raise hundreds of millions of dollars uh, uh, from uh, big investors like Fidelity and M&G, which saw the company achieve a market cap of $3 billion. That would have been avoided because uh, 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 the small fraud would have been acted against. Moreover, if you act against small frauds and publicise the fact that you are crucifying, not the company, I mean, Block Commodities is insolvent anyway. There's no point penalising that company. It should be put out of its misery. That we can accept. But there's no point saying, oh, we're going to find you 10 million quid or whatever. It's irrelevant. It's only got bugger all in the bank. And it's got huge liabilities. It will go bust one day. It's the individual that matters. 
it, what the FCA should have done has said, this is an open and shut case uh, of fraud against Mr. Cleverly back in 2015 and 16. Uh, we're going to prosecute you. We're going to fine you a multiple of your salary so that you're bankrupted. And we're going to ban you from being a director of any company for life. Uh, or maybe even just 15, 20 years, and we're going to publicise it, so we're going to ruin your reputation. Had the FCA done that back in 2015, 16, 17, then the company wouldn't be raising money today uh, on the back of false statements, and it wouldn't have been able to lie to investors in 2019 and to mislead them and commit fraud again in 2019. It is only able to do that because the regulator ignored evidence of a slam-dunk case uh, uh, three years ago. How often do you wonder uh, if that happens? How often does the regulator turn a blind eye? Uh, How often does it do nothing? I'm afraid the answer is far, far, far too often. If uh, you're a cheapskate and you you don't actually subscribe to share profits, you won't know this. But if you uh, are wise enough to invest $5.99 a month, Uh, to read the 300 articles we do each month on share profits, you would see this on an almost daily basis. We provide evidence of aimlisted companies or companies on the standard list of the London stock market and occasionally companies on the next lobster pot. We provide hard and fast evidence showing how they have misled investors, how they've told outright lies, how they've deceived investors uh, in their presentations, either by what they've not said. And a case study uh, this week uh, was Scott Gold, which did not say that it had a whole load of uh, uh, commitments to spend money. And therefore, uh, it, in collaboration with its broker, SP Angel, a a firm discredited over its involvement in frauds like MySquare, was able to pretend that the company was fully funded when it was not. So that's partly an omission, but it's partly an act allowing the use of the phrase fully funded. That's been a a case study, but on an almost daily basis, we demonstrate companies that are misleading investors. They do so because they know they can act with almost total impunity. It is very, very rare that the FCA says, you're right, this is a slam dunk case. We're going to go after the individual responsible. Occasionally, individuals are told they cannot serve uh, uh, on AIM. Uh, listed companies anymore. Uh, Jim Ellison of Sefton Resources was a scalp uh, which I claimed about uh, five years ago. I proved that the man was a perjurer uh, and AIM regulation, not the FCA, turned around and told the company that it could not continue on AIM if it had the man on his board. But it is exceptionally rare that this happens. And we all suffer as a result because other CEOs believe they may not you know, commit wholesale fraud like uh, Chris Cleverly, may not lie as Chris Cleverly does. They do things which are marginally naughty. Uh, they embellish the truth. Or maybe they tell a little lie. And they do so because they know they're going to get away with it. Even if share profits catches them and exposes them, well, that might not do much for their share price. But the chance of the regulators in the UK doing anything about it, zippo. That has got to change. The regulators have to start at the bottom. Deal with people like Chris Cleverly, right at the bottom of the food chain. The shockwave of getting two or three CEOs who have lied to investors or committed fraud, getting two or three investors like that uh, ruined reputationally, hopefully financially, possibly with a loss of their liberty. The shockwaves of that happening would be to ch- would be enormous and would change the way that dozens of other directors who may be tempted to sin uh, 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 would consider the risk-reward basis of sinning. It would make uh, AIM and the London markets generally a far better place to invest and a far worse place to commit crime. Right. Uh, Thank you for listening so far. I'm going to continue on this theme of failure uh, with another company which we have been exposing on share profits for six years. 
and where this week we have been uh, 100% vindicated. This is not a small company. This is a company which, at its peak uh, six years ago, was capitalized at around about a billion dollars. It was then on AIM. Uh, it then moved to the uh, main market of London Stock Exchange. All along, it was up to no good. Before we get there, thank you for listening so far. I hope you're enjoying this edition of Share Profits Radio. Uh, it's the 18th such show. Uh, you're not paying a cent for it. Uh, if you uh, are, are, are enjoying it, perhaps you should listen to Bearcast on a daily basis. I know quite a lot of you do, but some of you are too mean to pay five ninety nine a month. Bearcast is my daily uh, show on share profits. It's one of 10 articles a day that appears on the website. Uh, it's a podcast, uh, and my language in that is even worse than uh, in this one. Uh, we are uh, offering the show for free because we are sponsored, in this case, by Open Orphan PLC, a company where I am a shareholder. Uh, I'm well in the money, but uh, with the shares at 6 or 7p, I haven't looked since last week. Uh, I'm not minded to sell. I think the shares are worth at least 10p. If you want to know the uh, uh, investment case here, listen to Share Profits Radio 8, edition 8, with Cathal Friel. Uh, Cathal explains it uh, superbly. Um, and uh, uh, if you want to know more about the company, follow us on Twitter at Open Orphan. At Open Orphan, yeah. And you'll discover more about the company. Anyhow, thank you to Cathal and to Open Orphan for sponsoring this edition of Share Profits Radio. Now, the company I was referring to, the, the wrong ones, is a company called Pure Circle. Uh, Pure Circle uh, is a company which, back in June 2013, my colleague Lucian Meyer said, I am taking Quindell off the accident waiting to happen uh, list because the accidents have started to happening and I'm replacing it with Pure Circle. Pure Circle uh, made a uh, an artificial form of sugar, uh, Stevia. Uh, the fundamental product with this company, uh, a problem with this company's business model is that the product was absolutely disgusting. I've actually had it in Coke uh, Coca-Cola, that is. Uh, uh, I don't work in the city anymore. Uh, out in Greece. Uh, and it is utterly and utterly revolting. Uh, the company did announce that it was having a sort of version two of this product, which was marginally less revolting. Uh, but nonetheless, is the problem is if you have an appalling product, uh, eventually uh, uh, you are going to have a problem with your business model. The way that this problem materialised uh, over the years was the company simply failed to generate any cash. All the time there were excuses for it. We're building brand awareness. We're building up inventory in anticipation of bigger and bigger sales. Blah, blah, blah. The net result is that as things stand today, the company has got around $100 million worth of debt. And that's even after having got a placing away at 280p, raising 26 million quid uh, in uh, May of this year. And there have been a number of placings that preceded that. So the company's got a lot of debt and there are covenants on the debt, one of which relates to uh, its cover by current assets. Most of the current assets within uh, the Pure Circle balance sheet, uh, it will surprise you uh, to hear, are not cash, but are inventory. That is either partly finished goods or largely unsold goods. And the thing that is quite remarkable uh, about the levels of inventory uh, for Pure Circle is that for two or three years, they have been greatly in excess of turnover. Now, if you think about it, that's crackers. Uh, inventory is classed as a current asset. A current asset is an asset which can be turned into cash within 12 months. How on earth can you turn inventory, which has a value far in excess of turnover, into turnover, into cash within 12 months. It just can't happen. Now, it could be that you say we've got inventory of X, but we're expecting turnover to go through the roof over the next 12 months, and therefore we believe we can turn 
uh, that inventory into cash. But if you look at a company and on a two or three year basis, inventory is consistently far greater than turnover. And incidentally, there was no evidence that turnover was going to go through the roof. But if you look at those two or three year patterns, you can see that there is something very, very wrong indeed. Now, of course, if the company were to write down the value of its inventory because it can't turn it into cash, some of it might be getting a bit stale. Certainly the old version of Stevia, the truly disgusting one as opposed to the fairly disgusting one, uh, that must surely be redundant. Had the company taken write-offs, the problem is it would then, A, have impacted on profits. It's not a cash item. The cash has already been spent building up the inventory, but it would be a non-cash charge against profits. So profits would be materially lower, which would no doubt affect the stock price. More critically, if you were, if the company had written down its inventory in the prudent manner that it should have done, then the company would have found that it would have breached banking covenants uh, because those one of the banking covenants related to current asset cover current assets related to net debt and it would have found that net debt would have been far greater than current assets in essence the banks would then have been lending money without any form of with their loans not fully covered by secured assets that would have been a problem for the banks that is perhaps why the inventory was not written down as it should have been. And this is an exercise that should have been happening, it is quite clear, for two or three years. The company uh, 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 has now finally uh, uh, come clean. There were nibbles at the level of inventory in the past couple of results, but nothing to, uh, 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 to really address the issue. Wind forward to uh, 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 a few weeks ago and the company admitted that it had got its inventory issues horribly wrong and there would be a write down and that there would be, uh, 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 the, this would therefore see the bank uh, f uh, fail uh, uh, some of its covenants and that it had to have discussions with the banks. This looks pretty grim. It looks very grim for those who put in money at £2.80 in May uh, because the shares are clearly uh, going to take an almighty beating when they do come back from suspension, uh, not least because it's quite possible the banks will demand that the company raises equity finance and the banks will not care at what price that is as long as the, 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 this pure circle can get uh, its debt and current assets back in alignment. This week we've learned actually that it could be worse. There are a number of other irregularities uh, and uh, uh, being discovered after a forensic review by KPMG. Uh, and whilst these are investigated, the CEO has temporarily stepped down. I suspect he will not be returning to his desk. Uh, the CFO has already resigned. Uh, that happened this week as well. It's all looking rather grim. Now, why do I mention Pierce Circle? Uh, well, there are, are, are a couple of issues here. The first is uh, we have been flagging up these issues about the inventory for many, many years. Uh, the company has not bothered to comment on it. It's just got on with its, its business of, of not making any money from producing disgusting uh, alternatives to sugar. But surely the accountants should have at least have looked at the inventory levels before now. It is quite clear uh, that uh, when this review is complete, uh, the company would almost certainly, had it adopted a far more prudent and realistic uh, 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 level of inventory, uh, have breached banking covenants uh, not just during 2019, but during 2018 as well. How did PricewaterhouseCoopers, the auditors to this firm, not uh, show some degree of professional scepticism? How did they not say, hang on a second, your inventory level is far higher than your sales. This can't be right. If a fool like myself or, or Lucien Myers can spot this, why did PwC not at least question these issues? We have seen a number of big audit firms hauled up uh, by the Financial Reporting Council over the past couple of years for not showing professional scepticism uh, or sufficient degree of professional scepticism. I just do not understand 
how PwC didn't show some professional scepticism with regard to this inventory. That is one matter. The other matter is, uh, have you had a look at the annual report of Pure Circle? I have to admit, uh, it is uh, a daunting uh, thing to consider because the annual report is 116 pages long. Uh, It is an absolute stormer. Uh, The first thing is, what is in the annual report? Uh, If you go to the front, obviously there is lots of pretty pictures. Uh, This is the 2018 annual report, and I'll put a link up to it. Uh, The... Report starts uh, pages one to eleven. Highlights at a glance. Chairman's introduction. That's a lot of pictures, diagrams, bullet bullet points. I things which are the pictures are unnecessary. It's just glossy gloss. The bullet points of certain key financial me- metrics are the company guiding you to what it wants you to see. Oddly, it doesn't have a, a whole load of things about inventory in relation to sales but it's guiding to you what you want to see but it is a repetition of what you can find in the exact financial statements Uh so pages 1 to 11 are completely pointless pages uh, 12 to 40 are the strategic report our market, our business model, our strategy, key performance indicators, chief executive officer review, financial review, principal risks and uncertainties, corporate social responsibility. Well, I put it to you uh, that uh, uh, the company could have a chief exo- uh, uh, CEO's review and a financial review. Key performance indicators, are they really the key performance indicators? Uh, again, I put it to you the company is not stressing levels of inventory, which is the one for me, uh, is stressing what it wants you to do. I suppose you could have a a brief explanation of a company's business model and strategy, Uh, but to have it in so many pages seems excessive. The principal risks and uncertainties section, lasting 10 pages, needless to say, doesn't include accounting fraud, uh, running levels of inventory which are wholly unrealistic uh, and serve to flatter uh, profits and stop us breaching our banking covenants. No, that's not one of the principal risks and uncertainties flagged up. It's all sorts of shit about the effects of global warming or the dangers of uh, cybercrime or management failure or whatever. It's all done in classic MBA-style bullet points and flowcharts and how it's mitigated, etc., But it doesn't address the fundamental issue. This company's committed fraud. Corporate social responsibility, well, that's another two pages of crap about how they're helping poor people and that sort of how they're going to save the fucking planet. It's all complete rubbish. A business should be there to make money for shareholders, uh, hopefully not by committing fraud, uh, but honestly, it is not there to save the planet. Uh, It's two wasted pages. But it's the principal risks and uncertainty, which is a hoot. We then have a section which lasts another 16 pages on corporate governance. Uh, Chairman's governance review, the board of directors, board activity, a report from the nomination committee, a report from the audit committee. Well, that lasts four pages. Four pages from the audit committee. It strikes me you didn't do a very good job, fellas. A remuneration committee report that explains why the CEO got a pay rise from $650,000 to over a million dollars in 2018, and then the director's report. And needless to say, the company ticks all the boxes in terms of doing things the right way with this audit committee, uh, addressing all the principal risks and uncertainties and how it's seeking to mitigate them. As a bonus, two of the old white men who stood down as non-execs were replaced during the year by two women. Fantastic! Actually, they came in in September 2019. Uh, they came in, in not that long ago. Was it September 2018? Anyhow, uh, they came in not that long ago. Uh, they look to be perfectly respectable. They are truly independent. That is to say they have got no knowledge 
whatsoever of the artificial sugars market. Uh, one of these women is an expert in fashions and brands, uh, and the other is uh, runs an airline company or something like that. No doubt they're perfectly well qualified in the world of business. Uh, the company ticks all the boxes in terms of getting more women on the board. In fact, these are the first two women. It's showing it goes the right way. And it ticks the boxes because they're showing independence, i.e. they have absolutely no connection or knowledge about the industry whatsoever. Uh, I would have thought if these women really cared about their reputation, they would have done a bit of due diligence before and said, hang on, hang on a second, why are your inventory so high? Clearly they didn't. It was just the lure of the money, and non-execs are paid very well in this company. Uh, it ticks all the boxes. Eventually, at page 56, which is almost halfway through this 116-page document, uh, we start getting uh, the financial information with the independent auditors report. That is PwC, the company which for years has warned, has ignored explicit warnings from Lucian Myers and myself, and has allowed the company to sign off on inventory levels, which are clearly uh, complete works of fiction. Why do I go in so big time on this? You know, if I was uh, to set up with my friend Sam Antar, uh, the greatest living fraudster uh, of crazy Eddie's infamy, if Sam and I were going to set up a business today, uh, one of the things which I think he'd probably delegate to me is the production of the annual report. I would be insistent that we found uh, uh, with Sam as the ch uh, chief financial officer to cook the books and me as the CEO to spin for the company, I would be insistent that we made sure that we had uh, women as uh, would have three non-execs and they'd all be women. They would, it would be vital that they showed that they were independent in that they would have absolutely no knowledge whatsoever of the industry in which Sam and I were operating. I think maybe it would be cannabis right now. Uh, so they mustn't know anything about cannabis, but they would be independent and they'd be women. And we would be boasting uh, of uh, how progressive we were and how we were going in advance of, uh, uh, of uh, 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 things on diversity uh, 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 and that we were showing that we really were embracing diversity and therefore were having models of corporate governance. It would be so much bullshit, but by shouting about it, we would no doubt get many people on side. These women would be, uh, wouldn't actually be allowed to run the audit committee. I sat, we'd get someone who Sam knew to run the audit committee. Uh, but we would put long pings about the audit committee, about the remuneration committee, etc. You can bet your bottom dollar that Sam and I, when we set up our fraudulent cannabis company, we're going to be big on corporate and social responsibility. Oh, yeah, we wouldn't do two pages. We'd do 20 pages on CSR because we'd like to show what good guys we are and how we're really saving the fucking planet. If you have enough guff along these levels, uh, you will tick all the right boxes. But as Tim Martin of J.D. Weatherspoon pointed out today, it is no guarantee of good financial performance. Pure Circle is a case in point. In fact, I often wonder whether actually it's such a distraction. Uh, Sam and I would uh, embrace corporate social responsibility. We'd embrace diversity in the boardroom. We have the great attention paid to the audit committee just in order to distract from the fact that Sam was cooking the books. Uh, I don't think there is any evidence whatsoever that all of the guff which the Pure Circle report develop, uh, 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 demonstrates as, a, as an absolute case study, I think there's any evidence at all that any of this stuff uh, produces greater returns for shareholders. In one sense, it clearly doesn't. It must have cost an absolute fortune to produce the Pure Circle 2018 annual report. It is almost a work of art. There are some great photos there. There are some great artwork. There's lovely bullet points, lovely flowcharts, lovely diagrams. It is beautifully laid out. It must have cost a fortune to produce. And, of course, it is complete and utter fiction. Uh, it will may, may temporarily have boosted the share price, but it's not actually going to be creating any value for shareholders. In fact, the cost of producing the document uh, means that it will be destroying uh, uh, value for shareholders, not uh, others I'm convinced that there was much inherent value within this business to start with.
Anyhow, I hope uh, uh, that uh, if Pure Circle goes bust, which has to be seen as a very real possibility, its 2018 annual report will be seen as a case study uh, into the folly of so much which is wrong with the world we live in today, the capitalist world we live in today. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of Share Profits Radio. Uh, if you are a cheapskate, bye-bye. I'll see you in a week's time uh, uh, with another edition of Share Profits Radio. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, well, and you're not a cheapskate, why not sign up to Share Profits and you can enjoy a bear cast from me every day. Uh, a bit shorter than this, maybe only 20, 25 minutes. It only costs five ninety nine a month. And as I mentioned earlier, you get all sorts of scoops and exposés uh, on lying, fraud and skullduggery at uh, the bottom end of the London markets. So uh, to those who uh, want to invest in high-quality investigative journalism, I'll speak to you tomorrow. To the cheapskates, ta-ta, I'll speak to you in a week's time. Thank you for listening. See you.